Welcome to Pixel Chasing, the podcast where we talk to fascinating people about the most exciting and disruptive trends affecting our world today. With a focus on innovation, science and technology, we engage with the trailblazers and influencers who are taking an active role in shaping our future and signposting the current winds of change. So whether you're walking the dog, looking for some background content for your workout, or are simply looking to learn from experts in their fields, there'll be something for you on Pixel Chasing. Welcome to Pixel Chasing. I am your host, Michael Marciano, and on today's episode, we are welcoming the one and only Duke Long, the godfather of PropTech. For those of you who are not aware of Duke, he is a 20-plus year veteran of commercial real estate industry. He is the broker and owner of the Duke Long Agency. He has invested in and advised and helped grow many of the latest technology companies focused on commercial real estate. He's an advisor, mentor, and the entrepreneur-in-residence for Secondary Century Ventures and the NAR Global Reach Programme. Furthermore, he has been asked by many well-known companies and associations such as CBRE, JLL, Colleagues International, the National Association of Realtors, the International Council of Shopping Centres and Cornet, among others, to speak and present about the latest in commercial real estate technology. He attended Indiana University and is also a veteran of the United States Air Force. Today's conversation was free-flowing and touching on a wide number of topics. In fact, as soon as the Zoom link uh, connected us, we started talking, and after realizing that this is how we were going to progress for the entirety of the conversation, I just pressed record. So you're going to be dropped into a conversation that's midway through, uh, but don't worry, it gets clear pretty quickly, and hopefully you'll find a few things that take your interest, and most importantly, you'll enjoy. Thanks. I remember reading uh, early on in the process here around how there were some young uh, startups trying to raise capital, and they were saying, obviously historically, you know, you'd put on your best suit and you'd be nervous. You, you, you get on the you, you go on the tube in England, you go on the subway in New York, and you go to this big sprawling office, and you're like, wow, and these, all, all the, the the high rises. It's intimidating, and you go and someone shows you, and before you've had the meeting, the tone's been set. You know, who's in charge? Who's the boss? And who's coming asking yeah. for what? Now you put in your Zoom. There's the VC sitting in their pajamas, their kids running crazy, the dogs barking, you know, they're, they're a bit disheveled, they're, they're human. And suddenly that conversation feels more equal. There's greater parity in the relationship. And obviously that benefits those who are seeking the capital, looking for jobs, et cetera. But it's definitely been a power change. Uh, and as we said a bit beforehand, you see it also conversationally. There are definitely conversations happening now that I'm having and seeing that just wouldn't happen in person. Uh, and this is the new normal. Uh, and I think yeah. it's benefiting those who historically were the the underdog in those relationships. And, it's, and it's, I think it's quite a challenge for those who are now in power. How do you maintain, control is the wrong word, but how do you maintain authority? How do you maintain the hierarchical relationship where there's a, there's a degree of subordination because it's definitely began to dissipate. And it began, it's been almost two years now. It's definitely began to sort of reduce down to my colleagues, you know, there's, there's yeah. a quality now. I mean, our, our team is global, but we were always somewhat remote in a certain sense to begin with. And this accelerated what we were thinking about doing, which was having some online interaction along with being out and about because we were never all in an office. That's not how we ever worked. Um, so that, but I think it's went too far now, <laughs> you know, I, I still, everybody says that you've got to be in a room, you got, you know, we have meetings and you got to get the vibe. You got to go throw axes and darts and pe- play ping pong and all those weird things that everybody does because that stuff still, you know, if you have a certain relationship with somebody, I remember back in New York, 
one of the team members I met, you know, there was a little bit of attitude and some of the stuff that I've written or whatever. And we went out and had pizza at lunch and we're like the best dudes ever since. So there's some of that I think has been missing, right? Not that, you know, you have preconceived notions, uh, certainly with me on some of the stuff, but I just think it's like, you know, once you have a, you get in front of somebody, it's like, I got a couple of kids and we're doing this and we're doing that. Then you're, you know, you're, it humanizes them again. And I think that's kind of went away, unfortunately. You know? and the, the question is ultimately, in all what we're all asking this, is how much of that, what percentage of your time is that worth? You know, if, if it is the catch up, the chinwag, the, the seeing how the kids are doing, that might be 5% of, of what we currently use the office for. And if so, what does that do to the built environment? What, what does it do to the office? Like, I agree. We, I popped into the office for the first time uh, last month and it was great catching up. Uh, but it was, as you say, it was interacting. And yeah, we, we, we referenced work, but it was having a few beers and, you know, and just speaking and getting to know each other again. But I don't need that every day. And I think depending on maybe what you do or, or, or the extent that you need real, 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 real time collaboration, yeah. it feels like a, a vast amount of time can be had in these meetings. I've met more people in the pandemic than I have done uh -huh. in real life. And that's blown yeah. me away. You know, and I'm not going to complain and be one of those guys like, oh, I'm so busy because that's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, I pick up my own phone and get my own emails, but I literally had like 30 at one time back to back to back to back to back. So as you say, maybe could I do that in New York when I'm running around all over the place? No, because you, you just physically can't. But also what's the value? You know, I mean, is there is there value? Is there not? Is there follow up? I mean, I know somebody that raised a two hundred million dollar fund completely from doing this, which is amazing to me. Uh, but also, they obviously had the credibility before they get on the thing. But I, you know, I don't know if I, you know, it's being old school thing where you based your whole life on relationships or, you know, well, every business has that. Right. You do business with people you like and who you want to be around and hang around. I remember when you and I were in London. Right. We had never seen each other you come walking up right to me. Yeah. We kind of known each other. I'm like, what's up? Hey, you know, there's a little bit of that. But now that I've met you and we were kind of hanging and talking, you know, so I still think there's is it five percent? You know, I think it's probably more than that, you know, but you're right. I don't want to be in a cubicle all day. No one does. I mean, I can't imagine that being any any kind. Maybe maybe there are people like that. I don't know. So what I don't does that mean like we, we're talking anecdotally about it and it's easy to have a conversation now as we're both on these Zooms. But let's say it's 15 percent. Like organizationally, what does that mean? How do you mandate the 15%? How do you manage the 15%? Who comes in on that 15%? How much space do you need for the 15%? And what I'm seeing is there's there's no right answer. And you've seen a lot of the big the big tech companies sort of say one thing, then back backtrack. And there's been almost like this uh, unionization of staff saying, hold on, like we don't want that. Now what? Now, now we're passing the buck back to you. You can't mandate we come in. Now what, what are you gonna do about it? And I, I'm yet to see, and maybe you've seen something different, a really cogent or really coherent strategy that addresses the, the recognition that in-person contact is important and it has value. But how do you manage that in a way which isn't uh, purely authoritative, that allows flexibility, but in doing so still ensures the right people are coming in at the right time? Uh, it's hard. Yeah, I even I, I see that like the team that we have and some of the startups that I work with, they've hired people that they've never met, they've never interacted with, which I find fascinating and kind of cool and kind of, I you know, I don't know. I, I also think that those people crave a little bit of that interact. They want to be part of that team and that's we're human beings and stuff. So to your question, who is important? I think everybody's important. You know, I don't I don't know how, you know, like with us, where we we got to be together. Maybe it's once every couple of months. So 
to your point also, maybe that is the way because we don't have to. I kind of liked when I was running around New York and nobody knew where I was or what I was doing. I enjoyed that. Everybody knows exactly where I'm at right now, right? They know I'm right here. And the next three hours, I've got three more, you know. That's not entirely a bad thing either. I think I've got more work done if I actually work. Um, so I, I, everybody that I've talked to, all the brokers that I see, they're, oh, it's definitely everybody's coming back and it's got to happen. And I'm like, yeah, that's because it's your pocketbook. But if you're if you're someone who has to do that, and I've always been one of those nomads where if I have a laptop and Wi-Fi, I'm good to go no matter where it is. Now, if I have to be somewhere and do that, but I saw a lot of that in startups even even before this happened, where they, they felt like, okay, I can get some talent in X city or because that, that that's a really good engineer because they're really hard to find right now and they're really expensive. That's cool. Be there, just do the work. And then they would like fly in from Texas and fly in from wherever and then be there, you know? So I think that's probably the way it's going to be. I'm, I'm, I was already kind of in that environment anyway, and I enjoyed it. I, I enjoy a little bit of the anonymity, right? Where you're right. Who, you go in every day and there's some person there that Oh, I, I'm unemployable anyway, so I, I couldn't <laughs> couldn't deal with that. And everybody asked me, I got a funny thing. We were talking about our big global team meeting. I don't know how many people are in there. And we had some fun, but they're like, I said, they said, somebody asked about why did you get involved with reach and the, the thing or whatever? And I said, first of all, I told them I was unemployable and everybody started laughing. And I said, you're the only team that will have me. So there was a little bit of that camaraderie, right? It's like, hey, you know, with the, the team thing. So it's it's been fascinating. I, I've met all the global people, but then at the same time, we haven't seen each other for almost two years. So it's just weird. I don't know. I don't know if I'm trying to make a point other than I'm just kind of, you know, editorializing at this point. Well, so. I just think because we're all living it as in we haven't come out the other side yet to reflect on what it was. So we're, we're just sort of yeah. like mind dumping what's happening because there hasn't yeah. been a resolution. And I'm not convinced there really is going to be a clear resolution to it. And I think we'll look back at this and, and go, well, that was the changing point where suddenly people really reflected on the value of time. Like when I think about the amount of times I traveled to meetings for something which could have been done easily over, over, over this, this process, like, well, yeah, am see, I going to get on a train for half an I hour was, there Yeah, to, to have a chat about see? something which can be done here? Bumping all over New York, you know, and if you're going to have meetings, somebody's got to leave their building. I got to get on the six, get on the queue. They got to get there. Where am I at? You know, I've had people leaving in New York are like, look, I live on the Upper East Side. Well, I did it on the Upper East Side. A friend of mine, too. And he's like, look, if it's all the way downtown, can we not make it a little bit closer? You know, which you're right, because it's from door to door is how much time. And then you have these other things where, and again, I said I burned out, where you're, you're getting on an airplane, you're going through the airport. That takes a day. I don't care who you are. It takes a day. So how much of that? I don't miss any of that at all, by the way. Everybody loves to travel. Not the biggest fan, to be honest with you. I, you know, it's kind of a grind. So have have we accomplished more by not doing that? That's kind of interesting. Maybe we have, because as far as our business and what we're doing, we're killing it. We're cranking out. So, you know, we can do it from here. I don't know what that says about us, but. Well, I, I think particularly in, 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 and again, one needs to be careful when they speak, but like within the real estate market, often people like to say they're busy. I'm so busy. You have, you have no idea how busy I am. I can't, I can't, I can't. And so much yeah. of that busyness is, it's the movement around meetings. It's the things that actually make you feel like you're busy. It's like I know a lot of these uh, early stage startups, the benefit of being in a, in a co-working space is you felt busy. I'm, part, I'm busy. I'm going to the office. But actually, when you sort of extrapolate the time spent just walking places, what you're left with is actually a, a far 
uh, more more focused period of time. And I think what we're seeing now is that it's the wheat being separated from the chaff. Like actually, if you're not out always, oh, running to a meeting, come back from a meeting, well, what are, you, what are you doing? And so I think you're seeing people work far more effectively. Uh, I think it's harder to sort of hide. And I think we're seeing it in, 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 in particularly, obviously, on the brokerage side, which, which you referenced, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty empirical. What's your worth? Uh, and I think yeah. for some sectors, it's terrifying. For some, it is liberating. But we're going to see a shift and a churn around what, what, what is your value? And I think we'll, we'll move towards a far more uh, analytical view of what good looks like. You know, do I, need, do I need five brokers or can one do it? You know, if I need five people, you know, and again, I, you know, I'm not talking too much purely on the brokerage side, but it's a good example. If I have five people doing five viewings on, on, on five days, then that's, that's a, you can do the equation. It's numbers, you know, this half an hour here, hour there. Well, if we go towards a hybrid model of, of presenting property and we go through a more digitized process of the conveyancing, do you need five people? And if, and if not, you know, how do you attribute who's, who's most valuable with those five people? So as I say, I think in, in, in these markets, the, the, the best of anything will thrive, but the ones who have been fairly ordinary, I think they become quite visible. Yeah, I, I, I talked to a friend of mine, Ryan Simonetti, the CEO of Convene, where all they basically do is business and meeting spaces, right? And I used to hang out at Club 75. I called it my kingdom. I love that place. They got devastated, obviously devastated, and they have been. But now when I was talking to him, he's just the greatest dude. He's like, I think we're going to come back even better because I see more value in let's all get together in a meeting space, right? Let's be that valuable things at that amount of time. Kind of like you're saying where it's not, I don't need five people to do all this X. Let's just get these four people and do this, you know? And I think there's kind of, as you're saying, who needs to be there? Who's most important? You know, how many people, like if I come and go into an office, all I need is a chair, literally a chair. And where's the, where's the water and where's the, you know, the facilities. That's all I need. I'm good to go. And my headphones. So I, I just, as you say, it's democratized everything. It's kind of pushed everything out. Um, on the real estate side, I'm only hearing, you know, I, I obviously know a lot of uh, a lot of building owners, a lot of monster building owners, a lot of brokers. So obviously they're like, wait a minute, no, it can't be X, it can't be X. And you hear every day it's, it, you know, New York is gone or, oh my goodness, we're coming back or we're gone or it, every day it's different. Um, you know, I have my own opinions about that, which aren't really that important other than just my personal experience, but there's no way, and they've kind of proven this, there's no way somebody's going to bust it on the train from Jersey for 45 minutes and then walk for 15 minutes and then get up in the elevator and then do it all again. And there's people that literally have done that for years. Where's the value in that now? Where is it? I just, I don't see that at all. So how, how, I mean, in what was it, Jamie Dimon, some of these big, you know, the bankers, like everybody has to be come in. Back. And I kind of get your point where it's like, come back in so I can dominate and tell you what you need to do and what's going on. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it'll get, you know, especially on the startup side, I don't see any of that. On the broker side, I see a little bit of please make it come back to where it was because it was booming. Building owner side, you know, maybe that's regional. You know, some of these people shift their stuff. I don't see the tech piece going away from it because it's amenities, it's the tenant experience. If there are tenants, what is their experience now, right? And on and on. So it's just it's just never ending. That's one of the things I love about the commercial real estate thing. Every day, it's just totally different and ridiculous. And the amount of money that's coming in, it's crazy and everything else. So 
the value of the person and the experience, I think it's always been there. I've been in some conversation where people like, look, you know, the, the office experience is what we use to retain and recruit people. Okay, now what? Now what? You can't even go to the office now. So, you know, those, and I've been in them, those big, every literally marble on the floors and the walls and the ceilings, right? And they're gorgeous and beautiful views. I don't need to go there anymore. So how are you going to keep me there? So and I don't that, know if I have the answer to that. Again, well, that, requires, that requires fairly substantial introspection that not organizations are prepared for. Because, you know, you, you've run a business how you've always run it. And suddenly, as you referenced, you know, we used our presence, our location, our brand, our amenities as a leverage. When that leverage, you know, disappears, you know, what are you left with? And ultimately, how, do you, how quickly can you rebound from that? And I think in, in addition to what you were saying, I think one point that's also fairly pertinent is that there's also now an opportunity cost to go into the office. There's, there's one question, which is the value in going there. And I think we all can all acknowledge that great space for the right time for the right people is awesome. And I think definitely uh, when yeah. you are doing certain things and, and it has great value. But the other question is, well, what am I not doing by being in the office? And as someone with a young family, uh, I have enjoyed so much being at home and there's value there. And again, everyone's circumstances are different, but maybe the person who used to wake up at five to get to the office now actually is doing yoga for half an hour. And as such, they start the day in a more balanced place or someone's going for a swim or a run or visiting a relative. Things that felt uh, impossible because of the structure of the office has now become, uh, has become real. And you know, it's like we've given people a taste of the drugs. Like we've given people this taste of this, this independence and freedom that's quite hard to draw back. Like people can go to the office, of course, but when you, when you, when you mandate or you encourage someone to come in, it's going to be at the cost of something else. It's very, very basic level. It's their time. Worst case scenario, it's the time of me to get up, get dressed, train there and back. At a more sacrificial level, it's time with a partner. It's time with an elderly parent. You know, it's time to maintain their physical health. And that needs to be weighed up now. And I think because it's been going for such a long time and also because the pandemic itself was health orientated, people feel more aware of, of life and, and, and its value. So that's an extra uh, element to consider when encouraging, mandating, supporting uh, the, the, the movement of people back to, you know, a fairly structured day-to-day -day office life. So, you know, first of all, in my career, I think because I was able to, or I made it that way, where I consciously took a little more time, especially when my children were smaller, I thought I did. You know, who knows what they would say about that? Because I had a flexible thing because I was in real estate and I was a broker and I didn't have to be in an office or whatever. Um, what, what I think, as you kind of said, where you get to the point of the value of, okay, wait a minute, I can be so much more functional, so much more productive. And now let's say, okay, I can go to New York and I make New York money, right? Now I can live in Nashville and almost, well, you're going to cut my salary. I'm living in Nashville. I'm in the middle of the Midwest right now. Everything is literally 10% of what it costs in New York, you know? So it's, it, it, there's that way back and forth. The reason I'm in New York is because that's where every, you know, that's the center of the universe per se. I know every city thinks they are, but now I don't have to be there every day. So even people are like, when are you going back? When are you going back? And I'm like, I'm going to come back, but am I going to be back there every day grinding like I used to? I don't think so. And I think a lot of people have realized that, as you say, why, why don't I stay out in Jersey and we can zoom and I could still get more done and you don't, I don't need to do all that. So I'm finding that part of, and that's one of the reasons I haven't gone back to New York yet, because you want to pack yourself into the subway every day with all this stuff going on. You know, it's, it's bad enough way back when. So I think people have realized, like you said, I can live in Iowa and still do everything that I need to do. 
And if we need to meet up four or five times a year and I got to do an onsite, fine, let's go do that. And you're going to pay me a little bit less. Fine. You know, I got a dog, I got a big yard, I can do whatever. Um, and maybe that's also a generational thing. I still know a lot of people when I was in New York, you know, down in some of the certain neighborhoods, they were cranking, right? The younger people and the whole, I get all that. But some of us, you know, we're, we're past that now. So I think a lot of people have like said, hey, I could live here, you know, and, and do the whole thing. And even regardless of, of some of the generational stuff, because the grind, you know, I don't know. I love the energy. I love all that stuff. But, you know, I, I had a good friend of mine said this, and I think everybody said, I love New York. I can't wait to get there. And I also can't wait to get out of there. Everybody says that, right? Because I could, I was the same way. I'd be there for three weeks. I'm like, all right, I got to go somewhere. You know, I just got to go see get some green grass in the park or something. But a but lot they, of that. They get that drug. They, they, and the, the one thing that I, I sort, of, sort of pontificate on is the fact that that energy is, is a response to everyone being there at the same time. And the one thing that I, I, I wonder is, well, if there are 20% of people like you who, who feel that way, what does that mean to the, the sandwich shops, the cafes, the bars, the restaurants, which are the, the catalyst for the energy of the city? Uh, yeah. And it's all well in saying, oh, I don't mind coming in one day a week. Well, if you were buying a sandwich five days a week, well, you've now taken away 80% of that person's revenue. So there's a, a, a direct knock-on effect on the infrastructure of, of, the, of these cities that Absolutely. if we all feel this way, even in, in, in a minimal capacity, uh, what we come back to one day a week can't be what it was pre-pandemic. And so suddenly you mentioned Iowa, you mentioned uh, Nashville. Do we start seeing quote unquote, secondary towns and cities becoming the new central hubs, where actually, as you mentioned, you have the big gardens, you have the better quality of life, you know, good air, uh, spaces to run around, cheaper uh, housing, cheaper costs. Do they then become the hubs? And then if that is the case, and Manhattan and, and London and other central cities begin to lose their shine, uh, do we ever go back to them? And this all sounds very doomsday but there, there, there has to be a consequence uh, in some capacity of people taking some time away from these, what have always been, as you say, center of the universe cities. Yeah. And I've, I've some really smart people that I, you know, talked to. And I, I think always, even New York back in a certain time was no place you wanted to be. And all of a sudden I used to call it adult Disneyland, right? Where it was just, you know, it was fun to be running around. So maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe the, I would say maybe it's a year, two years, three. Some of those people want to go back and they'll start providing that environment again as far as like what happens to those other things i agree because if i'm not there i'm when i was there at rock center i literally had my phone i'm like okay i've been there i don't want to have a sandwich there or maybe there maybe you know just in my my area of where i'm at and i was there every day now i'm gone and everybody's gone so when you come back what is that i there's i'd love for it to be that way i went i went back i think it was in may and i went out to dinner uh, this wonderful Italian place off of like, I don't know, 46 and third or somewhere. And I walked out, I was going to walk back to rock center. I could walk down park Avenue and no cars anywhere. Now that wasn't big time. That was when things were opening up and you didn't have to wear a mask. So that was even then. And I've heard the traffic's come back and stuff like that. So all of those restaurants that I used to hang out and run around, first of all, uh, lunch and dinner in New York is a sport. And it's a hundred percent of sport and they were all packed all the time. I just don't know. How does that affect everything? I mean, it has to, you can't, I mean, some of those places have gone out of business, but will it come back? 
will, will there be, I think they will. It won't take to shine off. There'll be a whole, everybody wants to go to the big city. Everybody wants to do that. As far as the outlying things, I mean, I'm originally from Indianapolis, which is in the Midwest. They think they're the center of the universe, mm. right? They don't have to do anything. I remember I used to fly in. I'd look over. I'm like, that's a little bitty, you know, especially after in New York. That doesn't mean it's not the center of the universe. I was born there, but um, there's everything you need is there. What other than an ocean or something like that. So with the internet and everything else, do they, do they become more valuable? The housing prices are getting ridiculous now, uh, comparative. So I think it's going to be both. Why not both? Maybe it helps both. Right. And like London, uh, I just got a thing. I came with North London or something like that. I love London. There is no place like that on the planet in this weird cosmic way. I don't know. It's hard to explain London. I don't romanticize London. But how do you not have all of that that's been around since what? Centuries and centuries. Mm. And the pubs, first of all, there isn't a pub in London that I haven't loved. You know, every one of them is great. How about that environment? Some of those kinds of things. Is that going to go away? Um, I, you know, I don't think so. I just, I think it'll come, it'll come back maybe even stronger. Will it be different? Will I have to be there all the time? I don't know. Again, we're editorializing, but you know, if, if I were 25, I'd be there now. I'd be there right now. You know, if I had kids, I'd be, I'd be like maybe thinking about what's the next phase. I'm getting ready to ramp up. I'm getting ahead. I'm going to have an edge. And, you know, if I'm 40 or 45, am I, you know, maybe not so much. So maybe that's generational. Um, well, I mean, but you've also got with, with, with what you do on the VC side, you have got, you know, an outlook there. So have you seen any, any trends been catalyzed or things that you were working on or you guys are talking about pre-pandemic that suddenly have you look at it with a completely different uh, lens on. Uh, are you seeing from that startup community certain things? And I know there are things we, we can talk about data, we can talk about remote, but anything specific that you can point your finger to and say, this has really got me interested more so than it would have done back in 2019. God, that's a really good question. And I was thinking about this. You know, and everybody says this, there are certain things that got accelerated and certain things that fell away. Um, I think that there was more interest in, in this sector and property and technology and things around it, FinTech and insurance now, because people realize that there's certain environments, there's a still a lot of value to that. I'm trying to think, you know, I would say that the stuff that I focused on more has been more process things. Again, you're only shrinking time not a big innovation thing. That's kind of a word. Maybe we can get to that later. Um, you know, it's a long story. I, it's, you know, it's like, okay, how do we make this more efficient? How do we make this better? How do we fix this process? And I use this example all the time. There's a company, I know they do mortgage stuff, you know, institutional mortgage. And there's a piece of paper that somebody has to touch. Not, at nine people have to touch before it can move forward. That doesn't mean that's a wrong thing, but people are trying to fix that for somebody. That makes that process time better or whatever. I think a lot of the stuff that people were just trying to throw out there, and I, I have all my points and opinions about it, that kind of went away was some of the virtual stuffs kind of went away because um, there were a thousand of those people. Uh, some of the, uh, the blockchain stuff went away, which <laughs> I think is great because I've been called on that. I went through all of it and looked at it a lot. Um, cause I can't figure out how an asset that when Elon Musk decides he breathes, it goes up and down that we're going to fix that to a property. 
maybe we'll get there. That's okay. That's okay. But if I'm going to buy a half million dollar house, I don't want that to go down to 200,000 yeah. after, you know, after a week. So some of that stuff went away. Um, I don't know, just better teams, better ideas and real usable products have always got funded. And I think every, what this year we've, invested more in startups than we had the previous year, which was a record, like in half a year. And it's literally billions every month. So I don't think I've answered your question. I don't know if anything's really went away. It's just everything that's better and actually people are buying has been more pushed to the front. Um, you know, institutional mortgage stuff, uh, processing software, I mean, I could go on and on the building stuff, uh, amenities, even that you think would go away. They went virtual and made it better. Uh, there's just so many things. And all the people that were buying houses, you know, with NAR, I'm a little bit on the resi side. It was, it's ridiculous, the boom that's going on there. I think the prices went up here in the United States. The average price was almost, uh, I think it was, I think they call it like 75,000 pounds. Your house mm -hmm. went up that much in one year. Right. We had a similar thing here. Crazy. You'd be a perfect storm. You have low interest rates. You have people who are hoarding cash for a long period of time with uncertainty towards the future. Um, we had incentives on stamp duty uh, and, and, and people are buying. Um, okay. So let me throw the question back to you. What have you seen? How's that for a question? You tell me what you think. I think that what, what you're seeing is, and I'm, I'm going to want your view on this as well, is I think we're pretty both in agreement to what, we, whether it's Cree tech, prop tech, it's, it's been a, a word for a very long time and people can oh, talk about innovation trademark them too <laughs> come back everybody wants to that. take credit i'll take credit <laughs> listen only one godfather can be around for that that's uh, true i don't have a problem with that it's like for me it's a lot of noise a lot of rhetoric a lot of ego stroking for, for a long period of time without any, any meaningful change and i think it's taken a a seismic shift like this to see people not necessarily adopt but go okay i acknowledge this is inevitable and I think you saw yesterday JLL, you know, acquiring Skyline. Like that would have been something that we would have said, yeah, should happen a few years ago, but wouldn't necessarily have done so. Okay, you saw Cushman putting what one fifty yeah. million dollars into WeWork. So I want to know your view whether you think these organizations have a plan or they're like, right, look, we got to do something. Let's let's do a land grab and work it out after. But I mean, either way, it's not a bad thing. I think okay. what we're seeing is, is is an acknowledgement that there is now great tech out there. Do we know exactly how we're going to incorporate it? Maybe, but we know we want to play there. And my view is that pre-pandemic, there was still a lot of lip service. And there, there was activity, there were various funds and various investments, and we've seen that. But I, I just get the feeling anecdotally that there's a, a fear factor going on, that people recognize that things are moving so quickly. If we're not in it, we may not be in it much longer thereafter. Okay, I got two or three answers to that. First of all, yes. Um, there is that fear factor. First of all, all these people that are raising all this money, they have to deploy it, right? You see all the SPACs that are out there. Mm. If you have a SPAC, you have to say, we're going to get X. Well, how do you how do you just raise money and maybe decide to go buy something? Why don't you figure out what you're going to buy first? That's my opinion about that. And then also the valuations are ridiculous because you can't wave a wand all of a sudden and that one company is going to exponentially get their revenue to a certain level. At the startup level, when I say startup level, that can be, you know, at certain phases, you know, they might have 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 employees who still think they're a startup. A lot of those people are, and if you look at the stats, they're consolidating or trying to help each other. So they're trying to be a bigger company. You'd be surprised how many companies, very small, get to a million in ARR every year. It's very, so look, 
we can do, everybody thinks they're the platform, right? So there are a lot of companies throwing money at these platforms to try to get them up. I think a lot of people are looking at these segments, like if I'm in this, if I'm in mortgage, if I'm in this, then I'm making bets. So I agree with that very much so. The end result, and I've, I've talked about this, so you're throwing 150 or $200 million at a company that's got 20 million in ARR. How many of those are going to make it? There's going to be a bubble. I, you know, and I don't want to get all, oh, the sky's falling, but they're going to fail. Some of them are going to fail because the teams are not great. There's not enough customers. I could go on and on. So I think it's kind of those three answers to that. Um, the ones that I'm working with right now, I mean, that's all I do every day is talk to them about you know this customer, that customer, this scale, and this engineer. And all day long, that's what I talk about. And they all think they're going to make it. And I'm, I'm cheer, I'm that's my job. Come on, let's go. And we're betting on all of them to make. We have 150 companies in our portfolio. Are they all going to make it? I couldn't say that they. Sh I shouldn't say that they can't. You know, but we know odds are they're not. So at a certain, the other thing I was going to bring up is that some of these companies, depending on who's running the teams. You know, they have delusions. Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make, I literally had somebody tell me they're going to make $3 billion in revenue in three years. And I'm not going to say what I said to them out loud, but my part of it was, what do you need me for then? Right? So that's crazy. But they also, they're, they're, they're on a treadmill, right? We've raised X money. We have to hit X numbers. We have to do X. And some of them just burn out or they can't get there or they can't make it. So what do I do then? How do I get my investors money back? How do I get them a profit? Sometimes it's an acquire. So I think that's a reason I've seen, I think last year and this year, the most ever with startups buying mm -hmm. and merging with other startups. Okay. And then you've got that bigger money out there. So all the companies that I'm talking to, I hate to say this, but they're asking me about, well, if I raise this and I raise that, and they're like, well, we've been offered this. I said, you know, take it. I mean, if it's there, take it. I was on, literally on one this morning, they're like, we're overprescribed. I'm like, take it. Because, you know, I, that doesn't mean you have to spend it. Maybe that's a better narrative. So it's just been all those different parts and pieces. And that's depending, I think, where you are in the ecosystem. All these big hitter, you know, real estate, we're going to get a SPAC and we're going to go buy this because we know all the ecosystem and they can't find anything to buy. In the middle market, I think there's a lot more cohesiveness and they're all trying to be the platform, right? And there's some really good customer bases and good dollars. You've seen some of those numbers pop out. There was one the other day that just blew my mind. And then you've got the smaller startups that are trying to be there, right? They're, they're evolving. They got great product. They're getting, they're really doing good. But it's like, okay, I bang my head on the wall to go get sales for the next three or four or five years, or I go buy some customers and buy some competitors and go X. That, that depends on the team and stuff like that. And I'm, again, around that every day. What's the right answer to that? Um, at the end, is it because they, they won, because they, they, they've succeeded, they've got more money, they went SPAC? Um, that helps the investors, obviously, and it helps the CEO because they rake money off the table. Does that mean they, they sustain a succeed? I was talking to the software team from Katera. Mm -hmm. How much did they raise? Right? Literally billions of dollars and still couldn't figure it out. You know? So I, I think it's at all different parts and pieces. Um, it's just the end result. It, it seems like it evolves every year. I remember when VTS raised a million for it. I was like, oh my God. Right. And I know Nick and Ryan and all that. I'm like, and now it's what? Every it's what literally a two billion dollar spec, a nine hundred million dollar buy. 
I, and there's more unicorns now, I think, in Europe. It's like times 25 than it was five years ago or some ridiculous number like that. That doesn't mean it's not valid. Um, there's some great companies over there. But this the is obviously, I think, also indicative of, of broader, you know, VC behavior and this idea that there, there, there isn't always an alignment between what is good for uh, the investor and good for the, the CEO and good for the, the wider industry. Because ultimately, as you referenced before, guys have money, we, we've got to spend it, we've got to invest it. The, C, the CEO has been racking his brains for 10 years. He's lost all his hairs. Marriage is falling apart. He's remortgaged. He wants to get out. And suddenly yep. you've got two winners there, but actually the adoption never takes off and everyone sort of, it sort of peters away. And, and, and so to what extent are we actually, uh, and this is again, cross broader. And you mentioned before that the stats are high 90% of startups fail. And you've seen hugely well-funded organizations, you also referenced, who have raised $100 million who fail. But they didn't mind because money was spent. They always knew it would take a risk. This, the, you know, the founding team got their out and their exit and can now go and, and do further things. Are, yeah. are we seeing the same thing happen here? Because I can count on one hand the number of, 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 of businesses who have started up globally within the real estate market who have gone on to uh, either fully independently do something great or didn't sell out to get an out. Uh, we're not seeing this uh, very, very fertile. And I think there, there, there are a variety of reasons. I think one thing being, particularly in, in the commercial and to, to maybe a lesser degree in the resi side, uh, there's not a big client base. You know, you, you, you're not selling pens and everyone in the world needs pens. You know, you've got, you know, from, from, a, from, a, from a, a practical point of view, if you're working in the process side, which you mentioned earlier on, you know, a handful of organizations manage the vast majority of those processes. So if they choose a proprietary software or they go out alone, uh, that takes out all the other players. So it's actually a very, I know people like to often reference, oh, real estate it is the world's biggest asset class. It makes it sound that therefore it's really, really addressable. But so much of that is held up in so few hands. And so actually this, this idea that there is a fertile ground for growing, scaling and exiting huge companies, well, it, it's, it's not reality. No, it's not even close. Uh, the one thing that I would kind of, you know, I want to bring up that we're looking at a lot um, and this, we can get into some of these other pieces here, is everybody's talking about affordability, sustainability, and I know Europe's way ahead as far as what we're doing because we can burn the world and nobody cares. Um, <clears throat> but I, and I, somebody needs to look this up and I don't want to quote wrong, but we need to build the equivalent of the square footage in Manhattan every month for the next 20 to 25 years just to keep up. So we're looking at construction a lot because it's so wasteful. It's the biggest, you know, emissions thing and all that kind of stuff. So you would think there's a lot of opportunity there. And there is a lot of opportunity there. But to your point, there are legacy companies. I want to go back to that a little bit, where there are legacy companies in construction that because they've been there doing X and they've got that customer base that they can bring some of those things on. There's one, I came from, a friend of mine's got a company. He bought a company. All they were doing was mapping. And you're like, this is 2021. Can't you just pull up your phone and, and do that? Right? But they had a hell of a customer base and they were worth X amount of dollars. And that was kind of basically what they were doing. Um, if you look on the construction side, you would think they're just everything under the sun. Maybe so, but maybe not so much. So even that, as much as that looks like it's an opportunity, there are only so many things, right? That you can say, we're gonna X do with this process and that process. And now these companies, to your point, are, they're either raising literally billions to try to stay there, or they just don't get there, right? Um, and a lot of the, the, to your point also, a lot of the CEOs and the startups that I deal with, I had one of them tell me, he said, look, I'll sell this thing to the devil. You know, they are, they're little land sharks in, the, in that sense. And that's fine. 
but I, I, I still think there's a lot of opportunity and all that stuff, um, even though it's the monster asset class. Um, here's the other thing I've said, when all the people with all the money and all the buildings show up, what's going to happen? And I think that's what's happening right now, right? What, what can't Brookfield do that they want to mm. do? What, can't, what about Blackstone? What about Pro Lodges? What can't they do if they really wanted to financially? Exactly. You know, um, and they could buy anything. So I, I just find all those things fast. And they are, what are they picking out? Back to your other point. We're going to stake it here, here, and here. And that's where we are, right? And we're going to be in this little, little pot right there. Are they all going to be profitable? No. Um, I mean, it's just endless, man. The MA activity has been kind of crazy lately. Yeah. The amount of money is insane um, in a good way. I'm just trying to stand in the middle of some of it. I'm just being honest about it. So what, what is the end of it? Um, I think it's like any other sector. I look a lot in the fintech area. I look a lot in the insurance tech area because underwriting and, and risk is a, a lot of part of this. The sustainability thing, again, big in Europe, starting to be big here. L people literally raising funds just off of ESG and buildings, mm. right? We're going to go help solve that problem. And I'm like, tell me what that is. Well, we're going to figure that out. You know, um, so it, it's always evolving. And I think there's a lot of money now that's starting to chase what I would call, I, I guess may I be, might be biased, legitimate customer bases, not just, hey, you're right, we got a, this virtual 3D thing and everybody wants to see it. And it's really cool. And we'll all be having headsets on and like talking to each other. Maybe so, maybe so. But, you know, that's not where you throw $100 million at, unless you're Bill Gates or somebody like that. Not, not in our business. Also, we're the only asset class that, or the, we're the only kind of technology that wraps us a, uh, a software product around an actual physical structure, right? Mm. Everybody else is selling tennis shoes or, you know, HR apps or whatever, those kinds of things. So I think that's a, another unique piece that that kind of brings to it. Um, and I think we can kind of get there. Somebody asked me the other day about innovation and I said, good friend of mine, big CEO. He's like, every company's supposed to innovate every day. So I still don't understand what innovation means. 100%. Right? So what is innovation to you? What do you call it? I think it, it oh, and this is it's an interesting point. I think those who require a definition for it haven't been doing it. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you feel the need to acknowledge it as a separate entity to your day to day, then you guys are so far removed from that process. Just, you know, step aside. Innovation has to be ingrained in the culture of always improving, thinking, thinking critically uh, and not falling off the cliff. And uh, particularly if you're an incumbent, like if you've got the market share, and I think anyone who runs a large organization should always have the fear of God in them, because we've seen in every sector, in every industry, the, the mighty fall. And in this day and age, where, as you mentioned, there's so much access to capital, there's even less brand loyalty. If you're not innovating inherently in your day to day, eventually it catches up with you. It has to. Someone will come and do it better, they'll do it faster, they'll, they'll, they'll do it prettier. And I don't think anybody can stand behind uh, their business and say, we don't need to because, or I'll have one person, that's my innovation guy, let, let them get on with it. It has to be ingrained within the organization. And to that degree, there has to be fear. And I think, and, and that, for me, the two go hand in hand. The fear of being usurped or underpinned should be driving innovation, as well as always looking to improve the service your client base and going further and further and further. And if you just measure a business by its bottom line, by your PL, by your dividends, you're missing the point. You should be measuring your, your business by how you innovate, how you grow uh, your, your current offerings, and how you take more market share. And that isn't always measurable in, in, in dollars. 
And the, the company, ironically, and you bring up a great point, the companies that I've seen that are the most successful are the legacy companies that do what you say. And to your point, the ones that are the most vulnerable are the legacy companies. Isn't that ironic, right? They're worried about all these startups coming and kicking their behinds, but they're also in the greatest position. So maybe that's why some of this money's being thrown at that stuff. If we don't do this, we're gonna, they're going to come and get us and on and on and on. And I know all the startups think that they're, they're going to get there. And we know they won't. But also the biggest thing that I've seen, the legacy companies, when I say legacy, that's a company that's been around, who knows, you know, in this day and age, that's three years, but probably 10, 10 or 15 or 20. And they've they've got some monster entity that was in, in X and then they put on different parts and pieces. That seems to work still, you know, and I think they have that customer base. A good friend of mine, this is his theory. You have that customer base and you, you know, come and get this, come and get this when you need it, come and get this when you need it, come get, that's a good theory. You know, we don't, we, we have everything you need, but we, you're not going to need it every five seconds of every day, which is fine. So I've seen those work a lot. And even then, I think those companies are newer and they've been backed by some serious money. Um, so I, I also, as you mentioned, some of those legacy companies have their software or their products already ingrained in a certain system. It's hard to break that up. Having said that, what keeps them there? I've seen, and here, here's what I've been hearing a lot with some of the startups. They all say this, but it's like, look, where was this? I need this. Why didn't we have this? Okay. So that, that this is, if it's a visual thing, or if it's a processing thing, or if it's something that helps take the, the, the management of developing property from three months down to a week, you're like, where the hell has that been? You know, why didn't we have that before? So that I see those aha moments a lot, especially with the companies that we have when I say we or generally like, OK, I can use that. I will pay for that. So I think that is something different than we had, what, 10 or 15 years ago, right, where it was just an Excel, you know, a fancy Excel spreadsheet. Uh, now it's just what fancy code. So what is what is that next level? So I want to ask you that question. Okay, what do you think beyond Excel? Okay, now we're in the whole SaaS thing. And now we even got companies getting out of SaaS because yes, SaaS is a way to get revenue, recurring revenue and money. But what if, what if your companies only need you X amount of time? You know, I have companies going down both paths. So what do you think is the next? So there are that, a few things a here. And I want to sort of link it in because just took about your earlier point, this idea that one thing I don't think, and this is it's applicable in, in, in most industries, but it feels fairly prevalent in, in, in the real estate one is that people think if they build a solution, there'll be the adoption. There is a lack of appreciation of, of how hard it is to sell. Now, there are two parts to the sell. One is actually selling the value to people who may not have been used to understanding why they need the value, but that can be overcome with good salesmanship. The harder piece is who can be asked to underpin software that's been in their organization for 15 years. I need to see a huge upside huge upside to have to go and dig into all the weeds this is a it's been locked up for decades no one even knows what's there the guy who built it died 15 years ago we've ignored it and now to adopt what i can see now is a good solution i'm going through a lot of pain so unless you're going to handhold the whole way through and which you are it's going to take me two years to do and actually i can't be bothered for that that's where often the friction is if no one's disputing you've got a good solution but what you didn't factor in was that to adopt your solution and let's think something brand 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 new I'll go get rid of an old one. And you know what? A lot of people, because it's this way, in a good market, 
what, what am I going to change? In the bad market, oh, it's very risky to change. So ultimately, when you're going to catch those people to change systems, I think that's one fundamental issue that isn't always appreciated, which the incumbents have benefit and the good incumbents will, will uh, use their legacy products, uh, have an ear to the ground on innovation and work out smart ways of incorporating and saying, hey, look, I know that startup there is offering you this. Don't worry. It's coming soon and we're learning from that. And ultimately stick with us, we're, we're ready with you. And that's a huge, huge issue. There are some, I've seen awesome products. They can't get adopted, not because they're bad products, but A, they spent all the money on, on development. They never thought about the actual connectivity issue. They haven't built uh, teams to do, to, to do the whole handholding exercises. People are scared of change. And these are people who've run departments for 20 years who don't know what an API is. So that was my first point. Uh, yeah, I think it's often underappreciated. Uh, with regards to your second point, I think people have always enjoyed, whether from a VC perspective or from an individual company perspective, they love SaaS because it's that recurring revenue. You know, I can bank it, I know it's coming. And in my view, that encourages lazy thinking. Yeah. And again, it comes back to the innovation point. If all we like want to do is secure revenue for the benefit of an illusion of growth and success, you're kicking the can down the road. There, I subscribe my life to a number of applications, which Take Netflix. Netflix I pay for. I'm not locked in. I can cancel any time. But I renew it. Why? Because I see value. So I think as an organization, you should trust your products and innovation, which are inherently in, in intertwined, and, you, and, you, and your roadmap and your delivery and your team, so much so that you should allow your, 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 your clients to buy it how they want to. Because if it turns out when you give them the offer, they all go, thank God I'm out. I only want you know a month. Well, you've just... You've, you've dropped the curtain. That was always there, but you hadn't locked in fictitiously. Now, obviously, that has huge implications for organizations. But for me, in an ideal world, any organization should back themselves to the extent where they're prepared to offer flexibility for their products. And if products aren't being adopted or paid for, that should be cause for concern, but then trigger discovery. How do we make it so that people want to buy more? So I'm not a fan of, of, of being uh, complacent and relying on revenue, because ultimately all it means is that when you come to that renewal conversation, they go, okay, now I'm going to leave. You have me locked in for nine months. I paid for it, but now I'm going to leave. And then it's too late. So yeah. we had to be, you know, we had to back ourselves. Well, I had a couple of companies that I'm dealing with this year, and we went through that entire process. I mean, one of them had a great subscription rate, right? And they were like, maybe we want to go here because we can do X. And what we found out was they could do both. Another one was giving up that monster, you know, to go to the subscription thing. And guess what they found out? Right now, they kind of need to do both. So we're going through, you know, that's kind of the evolution of the companies and what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I, I want to go back to something that just kind of hit my mind. You were talking about all these different uses and stuff. And here we are, this big monster global VC still of all, and I said this to the team, you know, we're out selling SaaS and all these special products things. And what kind of products are we using as even as a team that we have? We have an Excel master sheet <laughs> that everybody looks at, right? And I'll admit it. So there's a reason Bill Gates is as rich as he is, right? Because it still works. And I'm not going to change. It still helps us all get, we got Asana, we got Slack, we got, I don't, we got all kinds of stuff. But we still go to that master sheet just because it's a nice place to reference. So and if you're running, if you're running a, you know, a portfolio of X, you're using Yardy, you're not going to leave Yardy. You're just not because it's got every, we got everything. We, they're buying stuff left right, or MRI, yeah. right? We got active. MRI. Okay. And, and tell me why we should change. Well, because we're, we're smarter than everybody that ever came before us. Okay, fine. You know, I had somebody, uh, we talked about scale 
Uh, I want to bring that up a little bit where somebody said, okay, if I go out and sell this software, you know, I can scale it a lot quicker. I said, so what scale are you? What if I give you a thousand buildings, a thousand right now, I can call somebody and get a thousand buildings. How long is it going to take you to onboard those? Well, we could do, you know, three or four a month. I said, okay, divide that <laughs> by a thousand. I said, if you can't do it in like that, then what is your level of scale? You're not, you're not going to, you're not going to change what they're doing with a thousand buildings, right? Or how about a hundred? There's a lot of companies that own a hundred. There's a lot of companies, corporate companies that own 10 or 15,000 locations, right? So I said, how are you going to help them at all if you can do two or three a month? Or maybe we'll figure it out. And I, we're past this now, thank God, of the, and I had this from a big major owner in New York, like, why am I the pilot for every, every software mm. company? Why don't they bring me what I need and I'll pay them for it? And I'm like, I agree with you. You know, what, I, you haven't even figured it out yet. And you're trying to get X company, you would just think of the big tower in New York to do that for you. They're not going to do that. That's not their job. You know, so there's a lot of those things that have kind of went away. Um, back to the kind of parts that you were saying where like all these, I would say we're getting better at it. Some of the teams are better at it. Some of the teams are learning more. They are in the business. They've been in the business. It wasn't like it was before where it's just, you know, a little bit of whatever. And I think they've also seen that, you know, again, there's a lot of money to throw at this part of the, um, you know, the global ecosystem and okay, but what are we really fixing? What are we, what are we, figuring out what are we doing to the point of down the road, these companies have got to be solving what problems? Who's solving the affordability problem? Who's solving the ESG problem? Who's solving the tenant experience problem? Who's solving the fact that it takes me six months to buy a commercial building? Well, maybe it should be six months, but maybe we can do it in six days. You know, those are, what are those bigger problems? And I think people think they're, they're solving them but are they really, you know, I don't know. That's maybe I'm kind of, again, trying to ask you, what do you think now are some of those other bigger problems? I mean, are they solving them? What, are, what do you think they're solving? I think we're at an inflection point and this sort of, this sort of bring us back to the point earlier around people knowing they should do something, but not quite what it's like, we know the house on fire. I'm going to run away from the house, but where am I going? I don't know. Now the fire one's a good example because I think ESG is definitely up there. We're all seeing, as we speak today, the world is on fire. Yeah, there we've got floods in Europe, we've got fires in Greece and Turkey. We, there, there seems to be a, a, a real physical manifestation of the sense that the world isn't how, you know, is, isn't liking what's going on. And the extent to which you believe in climate change, you know, the idea is that uh, we ought to be doing more to, uh, you know, preserve the planet for the, for, the, for the beneficiaries that will come there after us. Now, we all know that, we feel that, but what does that mean? we there are people doing stuff in it there are people recording air quality cool thank you there are people doing carbon offset cool thank you and to your point well where do we all go with that and i've seen loads of great companies doing a lot of interesting things but for these things to work operationally to your point before it's not just the idea it's the execution and it's a multifaceted thing you need to solve you know so first of all am i solving an issue it's a big if and if you are have you got a plan for, for, for delivering it because we, as we said before, it's a handful of people globally uh, with varying interests and viewpoints who still at the end of the day, they've got a bottom line to achieve. So how are you gonna actually even transition that? And people can talk about buildings that, uh, you know, and I do believe we'll, we'll see a point where tenants will uh, make a, a point, you know, a young start will say, look, we only wanna occupy buildings that have X, Y, and Z. I, I can see that. 
But that, that, that's a slow burn. In the interim, there are large landlords, institutions who have huge sums tied up in capital. Are they going to now retrofit all their buildings to just to reduce their CO2 emissions? Probably not. So again, to this point is you have a solution, but is there a meaningful and clear path to implement it? And I'm yet to see that. But I know inherently we're going to get there. I know we need to. And we know that uh, buildings are responsible for you know a huge amount. It's often spoken about, but the built environment is a huge uh, instigator for uh uh, CO2 emissions and, 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 and sort of catalyzing climate change. But it's a lot to do. And I've seen nobody come up with, 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 with a solution. Well, and I, I came up with a certain level of scale of somebody. And to put it in perspective, you know, I live on the Upper East Side and not everybody knows New York, but let's say from 55th up to 120th Street from the park to the river. And I talked to this software person and I said, look, every apartment in there, how long is it going to take you to get in every, every door, just my block? just my block. So there, there is, a, there's no way you can. So I mean, I said, if you can figure that out, then we're going to own the world. And there's just no way, to, like she said, to retro and do all those things to, to get all those, I hate the word stakeholders, but everyone that owns every one of those buildings, could you, first of all, you can't even find them, much less get them to do X. Plus there's all these kinds of systems. So it's a humongous problem to kind of try to solve. I don't know. It, it's, um, Maybe it's beyond my scope, but Not I also possible. think we, we have companies right now that are doing things that are like, look, we're just solving the leases for companies. They don't know what they have. They don't know where they have. They're paying rent on buildings they haven't been in for a year. That's how bad some of the things are. They're like, we can solve that mm. and make $100 million. So there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit to go out there and fix. You know, we're, yeah. we're talking about all these bigger things that we can solve. I think some of these startups are like, we can just do that and still do really well. I you think know, so. I and, and even still, it's... Even on the leases front, it's 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 the fragmentation around the, the adoption. And as as I say, I can count on one hand, somebody's been able to come in at a level that they've inserted themselves into the infrastructure of a large organization. And those who have done it, they've been doing it for ten years. Yeah, th this notion that I'm a young startup, I can raise X amount of money, and, and again, this and this is also. Uh, a viewpoint I feel strongly about, and you guys also play a part in this, which is the the misalignment of success and raising capital. Uh, that we 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 give a full sense that success is indicative of whether or not you can get a check signed. And there are there are companies who have gone out to actually become profitable businesses without seeking outsourcing, without seeking outsource funding. That yeah, no one talks two, about. There's two ways to do it, you know. And every company I'm dealing with, every conversation is about raising money. And I had a conversation with one last week. I said, "Why don't you just go get some customers?" <laughs> Right. And we were on a big call with the advisory thing or whatever. And we we're saying this in a very positive way. Go kick some customers and make some money. That'll solve all your problems. It's I, so simple. To a CEO. That's exact. And all the advisors on there were like, yeah. And they all have money in there. Like, go make money and make us money. You know, well, if I raise, I, it'll give me another 18 months. Well, maybe you shouldn't survive another 18 months. Exactly. Exactly. Well, What's funny? That's is hard that, to tell people, but it's like that's just where it is, man. People talk about startups, but they're a new out. thing. Startups aren't a new thing. But historically, no. you went to a bank and you put your house on the line. Yeah. <laughs> you know that 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 was that was your investment. You know, you took out a loan and you were accountable. And maybe it should be that way. Because exactly. if you're going to lose your ass, maybe you'll get up there and do it. Exactly. That doesn't mean these people are not trying really hard or not competent. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it solves all your problems. They're like, well, we got to put another 150 in. I'm like, well, then call your mom or call your parents or call yourself, you know, however you got to do it. You know, it's just, they're like, uh, I'm going to wave a wand and poof, that solves your problem. You know, but it's, I get, I get run up on that all the time. 
and I, and I wonder, because again, in, in the same vein, I, I share that view. It's that I think often things are quite simple. If what you're doing is, and of course, in cases there are real barriers to entry that require significant capital uh, investment. I get that. But to your point, a lot of the time, it's it's validate your product. Like I think we, we have some great people who can sell themselves, sell the vision, show a gap in the market, show opportunity, but they yeah. haven't put themselves as the people there to do it. And raising money is a way to keep the illusion going. And again, why do most startups fail? Because to your point, most should never have been in business after the first six months. And if they had a finite amount of cash in the bank and they felt that pressure and that fear from day one, they would have gone off six months, you know what, it hasn't worked out, let's try something new. But because once you get the investors on board who have put capital in, who ultimately still want to see it validate and they'll go, listen, let's go raise it this amount, let's keep it going, we, we keep the illusion game going. And unfortunately, what that means, as you would have seen from those possibly you work with, is that that pressure has an effect on those teams. You know, that's where you get these burnout. That's why you get these people who after three or four years who deep down, they know. Like if you, you'll, you'll meet a founder and it's funny, once they're a few years in, you can see through the facade. They'll talk, they'll, they'll give you the spiel and, and, and the elevator pitch, but when you get down to it, you can, you, you can feel they're just fighting upstream. There's head above water yeah. to, to get to the next round. That's the good. The goal isn't to satisfy customers. It's not to deliver, you know, industry leading tech. It's get me to the next round. We need the next, it's, 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 it's the guy at the casino. He's always withdrawing cash in the hope yeah. that this, he's going to hit red, this, not red, he's going to hit his number this time. He's going to hit his number. This is his time Well, here's to shine. the easy one, the companies that are, X amount of revenue and show done in the product and they need to, they have people lining up to give them money, right? And they, they're smart enough to get that done ahead of time. And it, it's just, you're right, it's easy to see. And the ones that aren't, and I mean, you know, after, if you have a hundred companies, how many? You know, it's pretty easy. All of them actually are not gonna make it, but um, you know, I see that stuff every day. And what, what, you know, we went broad on this on a lot of different things. Bottom line is like, okay, how much money did you, uh, we have companies and we're actually going to have them help teach. They send me a thing every month and they tell me to the penny how much they have in the bank. They tell me what they failed at. They tell me why they didn't get that customer. This is where we're going with this. This is our pipeline. Can you help me here? I'm on, see, at least I know they're trying and they, they're and not just because they tell me what they're failing at, but it's like, okay, you all right, figure that and the other thing is some of the companies work that we've had success with other companies. So we're like, hey, look at this. And maybe you can go down here a little bit because they figured it out. And we've had exits and all those kinds of things. So those are the ones, those are the teams that we know are going to make it. Um, you know, we, we try to bet on those kinds of things. Is it hard? Yes. Is it easy? No. I mean, is it fun? It's crazy. But I, I've said this a thousand times. A fourth grade child can come up with a valuation for any company any day. And your delusions of what that are are ridiculous, you know? How much money you have in the bank for the next nine months, the next 18 months, because that's the treadmill you're on. And if you don't make it to nine or 18, then you're off the treadmill, you know? And that's kind of the thing, you're right. It's like, okay, after six months, you kind of know. After a year, you kind of know, you know? And we're gonna get there, we're gonna make it. What, of course, we think we're betting all the good ones. You, what, huh? what patterns have you seen in teams or, or partners, organizations that have come to you guys that have gonna made it? Is there, is there a very clear uh, consistency in their approach? They come to you saying, we need money and here's why, here's exactly why we need money. We know what we're gonna do with it. Or is it actually the ones who are just so vivacious and, and, and outgoing and passionate, no, they bring everyone with no. you? And what, you know what? what, I wanna say I teach that because I hate to think like I'm some teacher. I literally coach them on, okay, this is how you need to put this in front of X or it's not 
going to be there. We go through pitches all the time. And, you know, we're obviously a VC in private equity. So we're also, you know, and if you're going to pitch it to us, then I, this bullshit, I'm not going to listen to that. So I would say to answer it as succinctly as I can, that they are showing all the, that tra- I say transparency to a certain level. We've got this. We already have X amount of customers already. When we were early, not it took us three years, it were early. We really got them now. And this is how we're going to go get these. They literally map them out and they give us spreadsheets. Here we go, the spreadsheets again of their <laughs> pipeline. Right. Tell me where it's going to go, because I'm betting on you. I'm giving you chips and fuel to go do that. Um, and again, they have people lining up. Those are the ones. If you just come in, it's like, you know, I need another 750 check and I got my ex. Nope. No, I'm not. You know, I, I can't. You, go, you know, it's just never going to be that way. Even then, they're not always going to get there. But they literally have they've, they've said, OK, we're doing a pilot. We've got 40,000 doors. And then we go, we're doing another pilot and we got 400,000 doors. I talked to a company that did that. When I say doors, because they can do the software. Okay, but they're already a pretty big company already. I'm a big company, got some good AR, but they're still raising because look, we got to get developers mm. to get to here. Because if we get those 400,000 doors, this is what we got to do. Well, that's not too hard to get your checkbook out then, is it? Right? Because they've already proven it and already done it. And I know that's harder when you're younger, but hey, that's just the world that we live in. So those are the teams that a lot of people bet on. Um, to get them to that point, you know, we're agnostic as far as the kind of rounds that we do. But we've also seen companies that were pre-revenue were like, that idea is great. That team is great. Ah, you know, but then they turn around and they get partnerships with people. So it's, it's hard to explain. I mean, we're betting on that team. We're betting on those people. At the same time, you shouldn't. We should only bet on the ones that have already got the traction, already got mm. the stuff, already got the customers. If I knew the answer to that, there's a fine line, right? I mean, it's, there's not an exact science to it. Um, so do I think those companies, both the companies I just explained are companies I'm working with now. I think they're both going to make it. What are the odds? Both of those teams, there's no way they don't make it. And maybe I'm very biased because I'm working with them really hard. But the markets that they're in and the, I'm like, how do you not? How do you not get there? Uh, it's kind of fascinating. To what extent do you think your decades worth of experience allow you to have this perspective when advising companies and working with? Because obviously, there's definitely somebody who's been through the motions, who understands the industries, who's gone through uh, and has the, the scars on war wounds to prove it. They bring the extra level of insight and view. Do you think it makes you more effective what you do? Do you think yeah. having not just gone through a business school and you know got checks written for you? And if so, is this is this the path that anyone putting money in should be, should should be should be doing? So you know, I I don't think we've even looked at this. So I'm giving kind of the last couple of years of the companies we've got involved in. They all had industry credibility and experience beyond, right? And we've even had some of the people on our team. There's a big big team that came out of a big company and they just wanted to take the software. And they're like, I've never seen that work. And I was like, okay, that's an interesting, well, it's good to have diverse things. If I think of the teams that we have, they all came out of it. They were all in it for a decade or so. It wasn't like, Hey, I couldn't sell my house and it screwed up. So I'm going to fix it. I'm like, seriously, that's, that's the idiot move. Right. Um, so those people, and I, you know, I don't get demographic or whatever, they're all of a certain age, probably 30s, late 30s, even in their 40s, right? Um, they all have teams. They all have 
I hate to say this also, because there's got to, we're all big on the diversity and stuff. They all have access to money usually. And we're big on trying to do a lot of other things. Uh, that's a big thing with NAR and reach, but how, how do you, how do you not bet on those people? That's why you're betting on them, right? That's some kids that come out of business school with some bullshit idea because they were in college. Yeah. Go lose, go lose mm -hmm. your ass three times. And then maybe we'll get ready to talk. And the other thing I think that, that here's the interesting thing that I think I help with and these teams already have is they already understand their customer. They already, not only were they maybe one of those customers, they really understand them. And I've been in presentations where they have personas that are ridiculous and in a good way. It's like they literally have, this person goes out to these kind of restaurants. That's how deep they try to figure out their customer. If they're good, if they're good, they do that. So that, that to me, they're, they're a, they've been in the business, they've been in the industry, They've probably been the customer or they understand them so well that they dig that deep. So does that make it easier? No, but that certainly gives them a leg up. Those are the ones I've seen. I don't think we bet on any, you know, winging it, you know, whatever. I don't know. You hear that. That's, that's great uh, press, right? To get that kind of stuff. Some young kid comes out and mm -hmm. he's the next dude that's going to do Facebook. Yeah. I don't see any of that. Um, and I hate to say that, you know, you're not betting on those people, but those people that come out of those schools, they need to go into startups and figure out everything that's going on just in the startup sense. Uh, not so much even the one. So that's a great question. I, I maybe I need to look that up. I would say the majority, probably all come out of the business. That, yeah, that's, I think that's, I don't know. It's very easy from the outside to say something should be done differently. But until you understand the reason why it hasn't, you know, you're potentially, you know, setting yourself up for failure. You've mentioned a few times in passing insure tech and fintech. Are you seeing, in your view, is the future of prop tech, cretech, the convergence with these sectors? Is this the All inevitable right. movement we're seeing? Because given the, 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 the fairly finite, in, in some elements, I know we, we haven't to discuss, discuss like contact or, or other parts, but like when you look at maybe the transactional side or the ownership side, are, are you feeling there's a convergence happening? Or oh, yeah. On the transactional side, it's really easy. Uh, and not just because I, you know, tweet stuff out or something, but uh, of all the portfolio companies, I look at different things. So on the transaction side, let's kind of start there to begin with, and maybe not so much on the building and the maintenance side. Um, if you are not a FinTech company, or acting like, or being a FinTech company, you're dead, you're done. Cause Stripe can come and get you tomorrow. Mm. And those boys out of Dublin or whatever were brilliant <laughs> with what they did. Um, but that's kind of the point. You're like, no, I'm in property tech. No, Stripe is gonna kill you, okay? And in, in, in theory, in model, you know, I get where they're going. Here's where the platformless API. So you've got so much money that goes around the transaction part, right? And I've said this a million times on the transaction. So. Parts of those transactions, you can make money off of each one, but then you get into risk assessment, you get into location assessment, you get into transaction management, you get into the money, right? You get into cybersecurity. We got a company, all they did was give the software away and they told the building owners, we're going to sell you insurance. And the building owners are like, no, you're not. And they're like, oh, yes, we are. And they're killing it, you know? So they're like, they're an insure tech company. But we're, we're NARSCV, we gave it, we're, they're, they're great. So we've got one company just selling flood insurance. And you're like, what? So you're like, how does that, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And the, the regulations are changing. And I could go for an hour just about that. So if you're not on the, especially on the transactional side, and maybe even on the brokerage side, I want to get there a little bit. If you're not a fintech company, you're dead.
you're done. I'm going to come and get you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right on, on the building side, um, on the building maintenance slash, you know, portfolio management thing, that's more data. That's more, vent, you know, some of those things. I'm not saying that a FinTech piece is not there. Listen to this. I'm going to throw away a pitch right here. Here's a free one. Here's a free one. Okay. Company figured out how to use POS. You know what POS software is, right? At the cash yep. register. Yep. They're using the POS software to pay the landlord's rent every day. Via through the transactions they're making from their business. Yep. Adds full transparency. That's brilliant. We're all over that one, buddy. We're all over that one. They can't get, we can't give them enough money. You see what I'm saying? Well, it also, that also touches on the point where you've got uh, businesses who have online. if you're only gearing a company's rent by what they're taking on their physical stores, you know, you're ignoring what they're making online, you know, and we've all, and so this idea that we look at the, the, the total that's, turnover yeah, of a business. That's an interesting piece. That's an interesting piece. There's, there's different parts that, of course, the landlord's like, we should have it all because without that brick and mortar, you wouldn't you would, be making X. Exactly. Okay. But how about all the companies that started online and now have some brick and mortar, mm. right? Like what was it Warbly Parker or whatever. It's like, they started completely online, you know, the glasses. I'm wearing them right now. Okay, there you go. And I had them before I had my eyes fixed. Um, and then they went physical. So should they pay that loan? They were making buku. And I know one of the original investors in that. Brilliant. So, you know, there, there's a thing there. That's a really good point. I got to look that up a little bit more. I got to do a little more research. But if you're the landlord and how do you know what's right or what's not right? You think they would have all that. You know, it's in spreadsheets and BS, mm. right? Total BS. But now it's like we're coming right out of the cash register, TI, rent, everything every day right to you right to your bank account and if you're a landlord you're like where was this see we went back to where was this five years ago well it didn't exist well it didn't give it to me see so that one god that was brilliant we're all over that one so you know that's a pretty simple one and you're like how do they become as we we go back to the conversation the big one the this the that i don't know maybe they just make money doing that somebody's going to buy them out no doubt about it so is that a is that a prop tech company? Is that a POS retail this company? Is, is that a fintech company? I know the CEO. We think it's a fintech company. And that's As you how say, it, it, it touches the physical space. And this is the, the point of the question: is that you know, if we if we if we look at things one dimensionally, we, we look at things as blinkers on. We, we miss the broad opportunity here. And I think, uh, as you have sort of alluded to and, and overtly communicated, this is a fact. If you're thinking purely in one dimension, you're missing, the, you're missing opportunity here. Uh, and I think that's one thing, at least from what I'm seeing hearing, isn't uh, spoken about more, more clearly, or there aren't more conversations linking, you know, that you, you mentioned there are a lot of partnerships happening we see in the industry, or very sort of generally, at least from what I'm seeing, real estate, real estate, real estate. We haven't yet fully seen that moving further afield and the branching out. But I think the point you mentioned, that company sounds fascinating. I feel that we could sit and talk for hours and ultimately the, 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 the data shows that after around an hour, people switch off, even yeah. when you've got the good, Godfather. Good editing in this thing. Oh, I'm editing. It's, 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 it's going straight out. We didn't even do an intro. This is it. We're going to go. <laughs> yeah, people are going to be like, no wonder nobody talks. No, I just, you know, no, we're but, just kind of riffing here. I love and that's this the point. And that, that's how you this is it. the conversation. Here's, here's the other. Let's, let's go all the way back to the beginning. This is a this is the conversations you and I used would have in the pub, right? You know, for, for a half hour over a, a wonderful Guinness, I might add. Or, or five. Um, with with or five. depending on, you know what, I got to, before we stop, 
big thing I got into in this whole COVID thing is all of a sudden I'm really watching the English Premier League for some reason. Because <laughs> I had nothing else to watch. It's on early in the morning. I'm not going to say what team I'm no, for because cool I know is, that gets old. People cool get chaos. all crazy. I'll tell you two things. I watch Harry Kane and the American Pusley. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, Harry right? Kane is also currently a very hot topic. So well, well, even though you are on a good day, a uh, diversive character, we don't want to get people even more, more See, I know riled it. up by you. There we go. I, I, you people are crazy about that stuff, which is wonderful. It's wonderful. But I enjoy actually watching the games. You know, I'm like, I wasn't kind of into it. But I'm like, wow, it's kind of my new thing. I'm not going to get a shirt or anything because I don't want to go to London to get killed. But it's like, <laughs> It's been kind of fascinating and fun. Um, even though we're stuck in our places, we're still global, you know, and that's kind of how I look at it. Next time I come, wouldn't even thought we'll get about you, that. We'll get you a shirt next time you come. Next time you pop over. And again, why are you going to pop over? Maybe for an event, maybe for a chinwag. Either way, when you come over, I'll make sure that uh, someone yeah. greets you somewhere with, 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 a, with a shirt. And then before we, before we sign off, uh, when can we expect the website back up? You mentioned it's been taken down. When, 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 never. When, never. What about your ramblings and, and your thoughts? Where, where, where do you see the best place I to I don't know. I just... I kind of burned out. The other thing is I'm I'm part of a big global team. And, you know, there's some things you just shouldn't be. So I got away with murder, right? I got away with Metaphorically murder. speaking. For, for Metaphorically instance. speaking. And maybe the stuff once, I said. Maybe could I say that now? Could I say that stuff now and get away with it, do you think? In the in the world that we live in? But this is the point. Uh, uh, that, that's a different question. Should you and could you? I think you should. Yeah. Could you? Probably not. And I think at least no. this now, age, here's everything the thing. When I, is being picked up on. The stuff where I wrote about all the white dudes screwing everything up and well of course that plays right but god forbid i should have an opinion about something else if i just rip on the old white guys all the time because i'm a white dude and i can't that's great i don't know i just uh i wrote over 1200 articles believe really? it or not if you call them articles they're just trash uh i just kind of burned out and uh somebody asked me if i'd pull my archives up and put them out and i'm like you can't pay me enough because my career would probably be over you see people now being, and this is a whole different conversation, one off today, but you see people being fired for things they said when they were like nine years old. That's so ridiculous. And like, or 10, 11 years old as well. And look, people change. Look, some things are inherently bad. And like, we can acknowledge that. And some things are of a time and a place. And some things are, are confused. And some things yeah. in that context seem terrible. But the I fact said this that the first couple of years that I said stuff. There isn't anything that I haven't said that I should, you know, everything. I said everything wrong. Everything wrong publicly to the whole world. Here it is and come and look at it. If I did that today, I wouldn't last five seconds. No. I wouldn't. I don't know. You're right. I should be able to do that. But I just don't. Uh, I don't know. I was making some money off that thing, too. But it doesn't matter. I just I don't know. Stuff like this is better. Right. Well, Conversations I guess the, like this. the way to look at it, though, it's almost it's uh, the way I often look at things. And it's it sort of agree. It's the, the Steve Jobs way of looking backwards at your career and, and then retrospectively linking the dots you know, to, to how you got to where you were and whether it was when he dropped out of college or when he took his calligraphy courses and then ultimately, you know, uh, Apple were the first company to, to introduce, you know, uh, fonts into, into their work. Maybe with you, that was, we, we look back at that and that whole period of time of being over and, and brash and abrasive and honest was the, the, the stepping stone to get you to where you I, are now, which is investing in, you know, global companies and that, yeah, therefore I, it's ended. I did love it though. God, it was a lot of fun. So what's your next big thing? What are you doing next? I'm not going to lie. This is probably the pinnacle of my career and I might retire after this, you know, a one-on-one -on -one with. Well, after you've had, yeah, you've peaked, dude. You know, uh, let's go, let's have a Guinness. Let's go watch a soccer game, excuse me, football game. Football. And then you're done. Go honestly, see your kids. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy man. Uh, and I think, <laughs> and, and to your point, it, it, it's more like this. What I found quite liberating through uh, the pandemic is actually the, the ease of access, the ease of access to people and the interesting conversation you can have when you come out without an agenda. And so uh, 
these sort of conversations beyond real estate are going to be really, really interesting for me. Uh, real estate being that starting point, but the world is changing so much right now. Uh, I want to get uh, as close to it as possible from from all the different areas. So whether it's prop tech, whether yeah. it's fintech, whether it's ed tech, there is so much opportunity. There's loads of risk, and for a lot of people, it's a very scary time. But for the right people looking for opportunities, there's never been a more exciting time to disrupt what will be part of of uh, really broad change. So I'm going to be hanging around those, those areas. Yeah. Dude, I think you're ahead of a lot of people, man. I talk to a lot of people, you know, and I just throw out BS, but. You know, you're way ahead on that stuff. And we need people that, that think like that, right? There's just more of that. And I'm one of those guys, I'm great with ideas and zero in execution. You know what I mean? I you know who you are at a certain point, right? 100%. So I got to fund all the people who can execute. That's just an obvious. It took me a while to get my brain there. But so I think we can, there's a lot of cool stuff we can do. Well, look, I'm looking forward to coming over there anytime soon. I know you're not there now. Um, love London, love Paris, love Vienna. Helsinki, I froze to death. But other than that, especially in the Baltic Sea. Creed Tech Prop Tech Road Trip. There you go. That can be a that can be a new initiative. There Bring everyone, travel the built environment, change the world, save the environment, and get drunk in different countries. Uh, what a dream. life. Everybody's like, dude, you got the greatest life ever. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's only <needs> happened. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, I, I did it. Nice. All right. Well, I really appreciate it, dude. Well, it was a lot of fun. You. Thank you for the time. Thank you for being on Pixel Chasing. And uh, as I say, this will not be edited. I haven't got the time, the energy, or the capacity to do so. So we're going to go out to our audience with uh, a genuine conversation, which I'm, I right, have no doubt people enjoy. And if I get sued, I'm going to your direction yeah, first. Fine. Not one F bomb. Think about yeah, it. Yeah. That, that very impressive. Uh, that, nope. That there might have been. There might be, was it. Was there an S bomb? There was. There, there might, might have been a bomb. I don't know. An S bomb. Uh, I'm, I'm doing so good lately. It's, it's, it's like a twelve-step so program good. for you. Well done. You got, we got one of those coins that you get after being up being like twelve days sober. That we can ramble on. Somebody sent me a thing an email one day, and they're like, you know, you're ruining the business and your standards. And I literally wrote something with the F bomb every other word <laughs> and sent it to their boss because whose standards are we talking about? Your standards or my standards? Well, you know, that's politicizing. There's a whole other thing there. So I but learned a lot doing that. I but it's also like, again, I, 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 after I, I'm going to shut up or going to sign off, but it's also like, and again, this may not be the exact right comparison, but it's like, look, what's and saying a word without understanding why it's being said, it's very easy to, to, to pass judgment. You know, if you're using the language in order to communicate or convey a point that is beyond the word itself, then it's really powerful. If you're calling people that to be derogatory and mean, yeah, okay. No. But if you're using it to be to, to, to demonstrate emphatically how you feel, then no, it doesn't bring anything down. It's, it's a way provoke. of communication. Yeah, it's a way of communication. So yeah. if you're being oversensitive, you know, potentially, if you've, if you've read it wrong, uh, you need to look at it, you know, in the manner in, in which it was construed. But this opens up a whole different world of, of free um, speech and dialogue, which and I, okay. uh, and maybe you're not best place to advise on without, <laughs> lawyer, with, 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 without, without lawyers present, but I do think it's important to, to acknowledge. But thank you. Yeah. And right. uh, I look forward to catching up and depending on, on, on the feedback, maybe there's a, there's a part two or just simply a Guinness version, which might be more exciting. Let's do it. And I thank you so much for reaching out. I appreciate your time. It is a pleasure. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you for listening to Pixel Chasing and well done for making it right to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to share with others who you think might also enjoy it. And to be kept up to date with all they're up to here, you can always follow us on the usual channels. On Twitter, we are at Pixel Chasing. 
On Instagram, we are at pixelchasing. And if you want to join our newsletter to be kept up to date with all future episodes, you can join that on our website, which is pixelchasing.com. Thank you. See you next time.